never fail. When this song comes on, everybody in the studio starts bouncing. Salute to Chub Rock, man, for just producing one of the all-time anthems, man. You cannot chill when this comes on. An all-time booty mover. It's not going to happen. You heard me. An all-time booty mover. <laughs> Welcome back to the Wesley Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Broadcasting live from the Planet Kia Studios, the best place on the planet to buy a car. Visit them on East Independence or online at planetkianc.com. And if you want to dance like we did during the break, check out the podcast. This will be on hour two, I would presume. And uh, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcast, WFNZ app. Check out West and Walker. All right. Bryce Young doing his thing with the Panthers. Mini camps, rookie mini camps. Doesn't matter. He's out there showcasing those skills. And so Dan Graziano of ESPN begged the question if he can have a Joe Burrow type effect with with Carolina reaching the Super Bowl in year three. Is that possible? Walker Mail, what say you? Is that a bit much or what? I think they're in position right now to where that's feasible. Look, no one's going to bet, just given the odds, that Carolina will have a Super Bowl appearance within three years, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about something close to that, getting to the conference finals, making waves in the postseason, by year two, actually, you know, maybe year two when you make the Super Bowl, that's going to be a little tough, right? But making it in year three... We always talk about the NFL in spans of three-year windows. I feel like we do that a lot. Okay, you give a coach three years. You give a QB three years. Maybe you have a different coaching change. Feels like we have that kind of stretch before we make a real concrete opinion. All right, it's over. Or, okay, no, this guy is a star outright, and we feel good about it. I think the way that this offensive line is set up, the way that they have some young pieces on the offensive line, like a Iki Aquanu, offensive linemen can age pretty well, too, so that's good. And then you're talking about some of the wide receiving pieces. They still need to have some additions there. But if Jonathan Mingo hits, if Terrace Marshall can start to improve a little bit, and even if they don't, you still have some time to address that, right? Like if we're talking about a three-year window, I like the nucleus, and I think they've set themselves up well to have Bryce Young. You and I both think he's going to be awesome. And if you put the right pieces around him, yeah, I think this is a team that should be shooting for big-time playoff runs by year three for sure. I think I think it's possible. I think more so along the lines of before his first contract is up, before you have to give him that first big extension a la Jalen Hurts three years. I mean, a lot can happen, though, especially when you oh, yeah. talk about you're going out and you're going to have the available money, not paying a rookie quarterback a ton of money. You can go out there and get the guys. And as we said, the NFC, who knows how the landscape of the NFC is going to look over the next few seasons as far as it goes right now. You're talking the Phillies, the San Francisco, some of those other teams. But as far as just true hard to climb up those mountain type of contenders, there's not a ton of those in the NFC. So, yeah, if Bryce Young turns out to be as advertised, I think that he could possibly get them to a Super Bowl maybe three years. But I think inside of that first contract, they could do that. Yeah. So and if you look at them getting to the Super Bowl, their second season, right? I mean, that's that's ridiculous. What Joe Burrow was able to do alongside the help with Zach Taylor, who really came on strong as a offensive minded coach. 
they were close to winning it. You know, there was it was a drive by the Rams, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup being able to catch that last touchdown pass, and Aaron Donald broke through the offensive line like he always does and forced some pressure on Joe Burrow. They end up not being able to drive against the Rams. They were that close to winning it. I don't think Carolina's going to do that by year two. It's going to be a lot to ask for. I will say there are, if we just wanted to do the outright Cincinnati-Carolina comparison, you do have a better offensive line in Carolina, but the weapons for Cincinnati were ridiculous. I mean, you have a generational talent. Maybe that's strong. Maybe I shouldn't use it. But you have a, a crazy talent in Jamar Chase. That guy was absolutely amazing. I don't think generations maybe too out of the realm. Yeah, no, I, what I, he's done so far. No, he's he's insane. I think T. Higgins. I mean, number one wide receiver on what all but five teams. I mean, maybe right. Like T. Higgins is amazing too, and to have, oh man, I mean. You've got some good uh, pieces you're working with, plus the defensive coordinator, the name's escaping me, but they really did a nice job on that side and calling some plays and, uh, and and coming up with the correct scheme. I really like what Cincinnati was able to do for sure, and there are some ways that you can compare Carolina to that. No, the expectation shouldn't be make it to the Super Bowl by year two, but maybe there are some comparisons to draw there. Has he in your opinion, accelerated the expectations on rookie quarterbacks, though, with what he's able to do. I mean, Cincinnati at this point, they were a laughing stock for pretty much most of their existence. And now with Joe Burrow, pretty much they're going to be looked at as a Super Bowl slash AFC contender for years to come. So do you look at that just as an outlier situation or do you feel like that he's kind of accelerating the expectations where you're like, hey, we want you to come in and have this type of impact and take us to the promised land. And you can add Jalen Hurts to that as well, because before he got his contract extension, he had Philadelphia playoff bound and in the Super Bowl as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you can have success by year two. You see a lot of guys kind of break out year two. There, there's, It can go either way, right? You either have a lot of film, defensive coordinators know what your weaknesses are, and you might have the sophomore slump. That can happen to some of these starting QBs. Or they have the breakout where, no, they're actually legitimately good. It doesn't matter how much film they put out. They're just going to adjust to what you're doing defensively, and they can take their team on a deep run into the postseason. Jalen Hurts, he's played in three years, um, played three years in the NFL. They gave him a lot of help, and he got him to the Super Bowl where they were close to winning. Same thing with Joe Burrow, right? Second year, played three years, done a nice job getting to the conference championship in um, the last two seasons. I think there is that shot. I mean, it, it does go to show you that the NFL, because there's so many pieces to an NFL draft where this sport is literally designed to keep thing everything close to keep everything close together because of the salary cap. Yeah, things can change dramatically year over year. So it's not crazy to think Carolina could make the postseason this year, but really be ready the following season because some of the work that that organization has done already. Yeah, I think if anything, it puts more pressure on the front offices because I think now when you have these two young quarterbacks that have come in and gotten their teams and Patrick Mahomes got his team to the promised land fairly quickly as well. And I think it puts a lot of pressure on your front office to say, hey, you've got a rookie quarterback. You've got this stud guy that looks to be one of the dominant players in the league. So you need to get this team to the Super Bowl with available cap space that you're going to have. So, no, and it, it's it's going to be a lot of pressure, right? This is kind of talking about we didn't get to it. We had a big old Scoot Brandon breakdown again. But talking about the future, how do you surround your young stars or potential stars with as much talent as possible to get everybody in the organization to the next level. I wanted to ask you this because we've talked a lot about projections Mm -hmm. and 
ESPN's Mike Clay came out with projections for Bryce Young, and there's going to be different projections everywhere you look. It just depends on the media outlet. But he had Bryce Young set at 3,553 passing yards, lower than I would expect. 19 touchdown passes, lower than I would expect. Mm -hmm. 13 interceptions, higher than I would expect. We can get to the rushing totals in a separate conversation, but basically 3,500 yards, 19 touchdown passes, 13 interceptions. Wes, I know you're expecting better numbers in every single one of those categories. <laughs> well, the 3,500 passing yards, I mean, not bad. I can live with that. But the 19 touchdowns, I'm expecting 25, around 25 to 27, 28, somewhere in there. I think he can do that. And the 13 interceptions, I'm expecting lower. You would be correct. I'm expecting six to eight interceptions. Uh, out of him during his rookie year. I just I just think he's that smart, man. You listen to Thomas Brown talk about the guy and his game weeks after Alabama when he asked him his preparation for the next week starting on Sunday. He said the guy's talking for 17 minutes, and it's only Wednesday. And I just feel like that this guy's just so prepared, so cerebral, and he's going to prepare like hell that I just don't see him coming out making. Of course, he's going to get duped sometimes. Some defense yeah. is going to be able to trick him. But for the most part, I feel like he's going to be one of the most prepared rookies that we've seen. I feel like that if he does throw some interceptions, sometimes it may be a miscommunication uh, with the receiver. And a lot of times he's so good, I feel like that a lot of the miscommunications may come on the wide receivers as part because you're talking about maybe they have a read route and they didn't read the coverage correctly or something like that. So uh, the the rushing numbers, I feel like, are, are pretty decent. I think those are on par with what he can do. But as far as interception-wise, touchdown pass-wise, I think those numbers are under what I would expect. Yeah. And the interception's over. Yeah, I would expect him to throw for more than that. I think we've kind of set it at a 3,800-yard range, which is a good it's a good amount. But we are talking about a number one overall selection that we have high hopes in. The, the only thing that makes me a little scared to put any over-under we'd set at, what, 37, 38, something like that, it's the fact that I do think there's still going to be a running football team. I still think they're going to lean heavily on that. I do think that a lot of their offense is going to be predicated on putting guys in motion. I don't know how much they're going to challenge downfield. I know Frank Reich wants to do that. I know he wants to work the middle of the field. I know he likes some of the weapons that he has as far as putting a Mingo out there, just get the football in his hands somehow. Right. So I, I wonder about the downfield passing attack and just how prevalent that's going to be in year one of Bryce. And so maybe the yards are a little bit less than I would originally think, but the, the interception total, if you had to pick one, you feel most confident about Mike clay being wrong on is the interception total. The one that you feel like, okay, yeah, that's way too high. He's not going to have that many in his rookie season. I would go because 13, when I break it down in my mind, even if he did throw that many, you're talking 17 football games. Yeah. So that's still a, that's a pretty good number, though, for a rookie, 13 interceptions out of 17 ball games. I'd go touchdown passes. I think in uh, 17 games for him to only throw 19 touchdowns with the type, type of talent I think that he is, I think that uh, is on the low side. So offensive coordinator Thomas Brown, though, he talked about Bryce Young's off-schedule ability, and he called it a superpower. And so uh, I was pretty excited when I read that. Just just the terminology that he chose to use. You know, I'm a superhero geek or whatever. But 
How excited are you? Because I feel like this is an aspect of his game that we do not talk about a lot. We really talk about him really as a as a pocket guy. But that's a big part of his game and the most exciting part of his game. So how excited are you about that? Do you feel like it is a superpower? Because Thomas Brown said that he does not want to take that away from him. No, I I think we've talked about this a lot. You've heard the mini Pat Mahomes well, just maybe more people out on the outside yeah maybe maybe they haven't talked about it as much but there have been the pat mahomes comparisons and i think the definitive skill people would point to with pat mahomes it's not the size it's not the rocket arm that he has maybe it's the brain but it's his it's his ability to improvise outside of the pocket so if things break down bryce young is amazing when things break down that's always been the exciting part for me. It's exactly what I want from my quarterback when things go crazy because it's the NFL and a big old angry NFL defensive lineman is going to beat you inside somehow, right? The guards are not going to have a perfect 100% streak of not allowing a sack or not allowing anybody in the backfield. So Bryce Young can step up in the pocket. I do think there can be those throwing lanes for him. But also we know he can get outside the pocket and cause all sorts of havoc. I mean, that's what... What, that's what was so exciting about him in college. So, yeah, Wes, like, I agree with Thomas Brown. I agree with you. I, I think this is an extremely exciting part of his game that even even just having somebody like that here, I didn't trust Darnold when things broke down. Teddy Bridgewater, he wasn't doing that. He was a pure pocket guy. I'm not, you know, P.J. Walker could, but, you know, P.J. isn't as good as Bryce Young, right? Like, we had the Tampa Bay game, and that's kind of it. We had the second half against Atlanta. We got Bryce Young, who I feel great about if things break down, and that is crazy exciting. Yeah, and I think some guys, as you talked about some of those players, when they got into situations where the play broke down, you're like, oh, God, because you knew something bad uh, had the potential to happen more times than not. But I think with Bryce Young, when things get off schedule, I think people are going to be standing up in their seats because they know something special is going to come. When you talk about this guy, he always keeps his eyes down the field, and I think that's an important part of his off-schedule ability. The pocket presence is all that. So when you see him duck from under a sack and start to run and look downfield, you're like, oh, boy, something exciting is about about to happen yeah it's it's why i've really struggled with trying to project rushing totals for him you know mike clay put him at 160 rushing yards and two touchdowns on the ground it's not many and if you look at his rushing totals in college they weren't very good either because he is so good at throwing the football i know he's not crazy athletic but he's not stagnant by any means you have to you have to have some athleticism to work outside the pocket so are there going to be times where he sees some green grass and decides to pick up that yardage with his legs. I, I'm having trouble, Wes. Like, I need some help, honestly, trying to project the rushing total for him. Because I feel like he has that a part of his ability. I also don't want him to get destroyed, being how small he is, by a linebacker just waiting for him to tuck it away and start to try to pick <laughs> it up with his feet. How do I try to measure that? Yeah, I mean, I think there will be a time or two where he is going to get blasted. There's no question about that. But I think the 162 rushing yards, because in the NFL, sacks do count against rushing totals, correct? College, not the NFL. It, it counts against you in college. Okay, all right. So, yeah, so as I said, I think 162 rushing yards, this isn't a guy that, that Bryce Young uses his feet when absolutely necessary. Like we saw it in Alabama games. He didn't run much. But when there was a time they needed it, a third and long Nothing's open. He's going to take off and get the yardage. So it'll be interesting to see that. But when we return on the Wesson Walker Show, more Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller debate about to happen. So we're going to see 
What's going to happen with the men walking the studio if the roof is going to come off of this place? This is Weston, the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Appreciate you joining us this midday. Fire a fizzle coming up at 145. Number two overall NBA draft picks in the spirit of the Charlotte Hornets being rewarded just that, the number two overall selection. That they were. Just missing out on Victor Wembenyama. But instead, they do get the number two pick, and it is a good position to be in. You do get your pick of everybody else other than Wimby, of course. And Doug was talking about this on Lockdown Hornets. Now, it is funny how the Hornets are on the clock right now, right? Like, we know who the number one overall pick is going to be. It's clear. It's funny when we have not had the official draft and Wimby is crying because he knows exactly who he's going to go to. Like that was his draft night. Everybody else's right. Everybody else's is happening once it actually starts. But Wimby's draft night was just held on Tuesday. Seriously, I, I thought the same thing. And we just found out that the Spurs are going to get Victor Wembanyama. That guy, he said, well, whoever the representative was, I forgot his name. But he said, I'm about to faint because <laughs> <Like>, he, <laughs> he knows how big it was. And Mark Williams, by the way, just kind of sitting there, you know, stoic face. Hey, are, are we, are we going to get my replacement? Can I play on the court <laughs> at the same time as this guy? Talk about fit problems with Scoot and LaMelo, potentially. What are we going to do with Victor Omidyama and Mark Williams? I, I don't think that. I'm just saying. Sure, Maybe sure, some sure. Of the people. Yeah, yeah. Is Mark like, wait, is this guy about to take my job? Did the Hornets send me? to go represent us in hopes that we would get someone that is better than me at center. Is that something that just happened with Charlotte? <laughs> and so Mark Williams, uh, not getting the number one pick, but still getting the number two pick, and you can get the best of the rest, at least as you see it. Now, what should they do? It's a debate we're going to be having quite some time. Here's Bill Simmons of the Bill Simmons podcast, someone that has talked quite a bit um, and seems to... I don't know, dislike Charlotte? Is that even strong enough? Mm. Feels like his analysis is always dogging Charlotte. And I get they haven't had a whole lot of success, but Bill Simmons continues to pour it on. Here he is, though, talking about how the Hornets and Scoot aren't really a fit, but they can't really take Brandon Miller. What's interesting is I thought Scoot was going to go number two. I wasn't falling for the Brandon Miller stuff. But this is probably the one team that you would say, yeah, actually Scoot doesn't make sense for Charlotte. Mm. So do they take Brandon Miller... And can they take Brandon Miller when they're already going through this Miles Bridges thing? They're going to put Miles Bridges and Brandon Miller together? How much does that come into a factor here when trying to figure out who you're going to take number two? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking the same thing. The Hornets have the luxury of having a lot of good players, but then they have a lot of guys at similar positions. So I think there is a conundrum there when they figure out what to do. Um, I think for once... I agree with Bill Simmons and, and the points that he made. I normally don't, but uh, when you just look at what he's saying and if you bring in a Brandon Miller, but then you're talking about bringing back uh, Miles, and I think when you draft the guy at number two, I think you look at him as a franchise cornerstone caliber player, you know, at 
at the height of what you would want his potential to be. And so you talk about Scooto as well. It's just a weird fit to me with LaMelo. So I think the Hornets are in a interesting position here. And I wonder how much who they draft will affect their roster, especially Brandon Miller, because if you take him, then do you indeed bring Miles back? Yeah, I think they're bringing Miles back regardless. And so the question is, I I don't think taking Brandon Miller forces you to not re-sign Miles Bridges. I think what they're probably trying to figure out is, can we have both? Because they're going to have Miles. But can they have both? Are they going to select Scoot? And it's going to be fascinating to see the PR blowback and how they're going to handle it if they get a Brandon Miller. And by the way, for those that don't know, in, you know, I think it was, um, it was March of this year is when all of this happened. He was uh, connected to a fatal shooting that he's not going to be criminally charged for, but he was the person driving a car that had the gun, bringing that to Darius Miles, a former Crimson Tide basketball player alongside Michael Lynn Davis. They were indicted on capital murder charges in connection to the death of Jamia Harris. Davis allegedly, Michael Davis allegedly shot Harris with a gun given to him by Miles. Miles got that gun because Brandon Miller brought it to him and so didn't know exactly what else was going on. And that at least is the story of Brandon. He's talked about some of the comments that he's trying to be as upfront as possible, but he said that he's made some decisions or made some good decisions now, right? That he's trying to be around professional guys. He's not trying to surround himself with anybody that might be about that lifestyle anymore. And so with Brandon Miller, those are the comments that he's looking can hopefully save him from the blowback that a team might get if they do indeed draft him second or third. I also heard Bill Simmons, even after this, some of the sound after I listened to this podcast, they're still taking Scoot, even with the fit. So I did hear him talk about that, too. They were discussing, and it was Tate Frazier of the One Shining podcast on this particular episode. And they were saying, look, with LaMelo and Scoot, they can complement one another. You take what they view as the best player in Scoot, and you at least see how it works for a year, and then maybe make the decision to move off one of them. Now, that's an interesting conversation if that guy is indeed LaMelo Ball, if Scoot is the better prospect long term. But maybe you move off of one of them. Maybe you decide, okay, we actually can put these guys on the court at the same time. It's dynamic. Now we need to go out and get some legitimate wings to help them. PJ Washington, what do you do with his contract alongside of Miles Bridges? So I wonder if that's what the route they're going to take is because they decided ultimately still to take a Scoot Henderson. And um, not even just because of the off the court trouble with Brandon Miller. Yeah. And I mean, I personally, you know, when this first came out and they were talking about Brandon Miller, I said, man, just growing up here, how many controversial athletes we've had here. We don't need to go down the list. But (laughs) just that was kind of my turn off with him. It's just like I know that people can change and I know that he's a young guy and, and getting his life together and learning things. And he's had to learn a harsh lesson here. But it's just like, man, why is it that with Charlotte, the caveat to not getting Victor Wimbanyama is we draft a guy who had something as controversial as this on his resume. It just seems like in this town, it's always something. We never are able to get uh, the, the the super prospects or just hmm. uh, things of that nature and, and get these just otherworldly prospects that come pretty clean. It's always a caveat with the things that we get 
here for the most part. That's why Bryce has been a welcomed addition, and we'll see how his career turns out. But with Brandon Miller, I'm just like another controversial athlete in this city, just what we need. All right, let's go to we have another pro Scoot comment. We have a couple of pro Brandon Miller comments. Here's one from Nada Edwards, who joined us yesterday, producer for the Ion College Basketball Podcast, and he compared Scoot Henderson to another awesome point guard prospect of yesteryear. Scoot Henderson is probably the best point guard prospect or best guard prospect we've seen in the draft since Kyrie Irving. This is the guy that potentially could be here. 6'2 guy with 6'9 wingspan. So for me, this was probably the next best option as to not getting Victor Wembanyama. So I'm, I'm still good with it. I was good with a top five pick. I'm just glad they're not drafting 7th or I'm trying to think of the other point guard prospects that have come out. John Morant was pretty highly regarded, but was always going to go second. Lonzo. Lonzo was very highly regarded. Everybody was De'Aaron Fox, yeah. De'Aaron Fox, the problem with him, though, was, was the shooting, too. People were really worried and still hasn't become a good shooter, but is also a third All-NBA member right now mm-hmm. because of the help of Sabonis and what he was able to do. Like, people, a real polarizing player was De'Aaron Fox, but a flash clutch player this season won the actual award the first time it was given out by the association this season. So De'Aaron Fox, not nearly as muscular. I don't think, I don't think as good of a facilitator as Scoot Henderson, like decision maker with the ball in his hands, but I, I love De'Aaron's game. I mean, he, he was awesome to watch this year. He was fantastic. What do you make of that comment from Nada about Scoot being the best guard prospect point guard prospect that we've seen since Kyrie more than a decade ago. Uh, I think it's strong because of the fact that when you talk about Scooter and being in that caliber of guys, because you look at Kyrie when he came out, and he kind of showed you what it was going to be when he came out of school, even though he only played in 11 games at Duke, started eight, he shot 52% from the field, 46% from three. But you do see in he was many, yeah, you see in many write-ups about Scoot that if it were not for Wimbenyama, he would be the number yeah. one pick of this draft. And I think that's something that you do have to take into consideration. And when you talk about a number one or a number two pick, you expect a franchise-changing player. And that's the question with him. Is he franchise-changing? It's just as we talked about, I know you brought up the catch-and-shoot numbers just in an NBA game where the three is so dominant. Can a guy that's not a good three-point shooter, not to say he can't work on it and get better at it, but can a guy that's not a great three-point shooter, it's rare you see bad shooters come into the league and become really good shooters. They can become adequate, but it's rare that you see bad shooters in college come in and become really good ones. So I think that's the interesting piece to Scoot is just the jump shot and the style of play that he has at this moment with the way the NBA is. And I think John Morant is the way that he plays Mm -hmm. is a little bit more apt as far as John's still not that great, very streaky three-point shooter at best. But his game is getting to the basket. We know points in the paint he's always at or near the top of the league in those in those numbers and I think that's where you're going to find Scoot especially early in his career yeah I agree with that I think that and that's what you want you want that rim pressure that is not necessarily as good from LaMelo who is constantly shooting threes on the outside what could I interest you though what, what do you think about this too and, and you can tell me this on the garage door guru text line 704-570-9610 
So he is working with Steph Curry a lot. Scoot Henderson is. Golden mm-hmm. State Warriors perennial all-star Steph Curry, according to ESPN, and NBA prospect Scoot Henderson are teaming up to form a strategic alliance built on common values in an effort to encourage and promote the future of youth sports. And so Scoot was talking at the Combine yesterday. He appeared with Zach Lowe and Malika Andrews during the NBA Combine live on air discussing some of the workouts that he's been going through with Steph. Those guys are going through drills together. Have you seen Steph? with All like? Right, now you're getting me interested. So he's working with like, so, <laughs> so Steph was, I don't know what the headpiece is. It's like this laser type of thing. Maybe it, it blocks the vision. It measures what you're doing. I don't know. But he's also working with the tennis balls to work with hand-eye coordination. And he's I also working on a lot of shooting. Scoot said that because Zach Lowe asked him about it. Are you doing the weird tennis ball thing? He's like, oh, yeah. We've already we've already gone through that. So can I get you interested with a Scoot working with pretty clearly the all best right, shooter so of all time? You didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me he was working with the Queen well, I just City did. icon, a fellow Queen City icon. <laughs> I just did. There you go. So, yeah. so, so, right, that so that's bringing things. me around a little okay. bit because he can pick up some – some habits and definitely I feel like you if you're around a guy like that the way that he shoots the basketball some of that has the rub off on you he's not going to come in and be the greatest shooter of all time like Steph mm-hmm. is but some of that has the rub off because I'm sure Steph can see some flaws maybe in technique release things of that nature that he can help him tweak yeah I think it's huge um now to be fair look as much, I don't know if you guys know, I, I would prefer Scoot Henderson at two. Don't know if I've would made that you? clear. Yeah, I, I would, but that's just me. 51 49, <laughs> maybe. But look, Brandon Miller, the guy can shoot extremely well. Okay. Like the last nine games, it, so he shot 38 overall. The last nine games of his college career, he was awful from shooting from three, had some awful shooting percentages, and that brought it down to 38, just to go to show you just how well he was playing from beyond the arc throughout the regular season. And it's stuff like that as to why Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN wrote how Miller is the type of wing every team in the NBA is looking for. I, I'm giving the slight edge to Brandon Miller right now on my big board just because he's six foot nine, can handle the ball, can play pick and roll, can pass off a live dribble, uh, has the shot making ability and the size to see over the top of a defense. He's versatile defensively. You can put him onto twos, threes, and fours. He rebounds. Uh, he's a complete player. He's that Jason Tatum, Paul George, Brandon Ingram big wing that every NBA team is looking for right now. Yeah, I think that's a lot. I think <laughs> Brandon Ingram makes some sense to me. Okay. because And, and I love Brandon Ingram. They do but, have a similar style now yeah, that I think about it. Yeah. I, I think Jason is special. I mean, you had him as your MVP. He was certainly top five MVP type of player. Jason Tatum now, he probably tops out as a facilitator at like five, six assists in his career, which is good. It's just that's probably where he tops out, even being a guy that's able to get you 50 points in a game seven crucial series against Philadelphia. Paul George, Fiddy, you and I were talking about this. I mean, Paul George was a crazy leaper coming out of college. We saw the dunk that he had in the battles against LeBron James and company. I don't see that. I see great dunks. I'm not trying to get it crazy. But Paul was an out-of-this-world athlete. Yeah, he is. So I don't think they're in the same neighborhood as far as that's concerned. But he does do a lot of things well. I will give you – he's an elite shooter, and he does a lot of other things well. I don't think he creates enough separation to be in some of the aspects that what Jonathan Gavoni brought up. But there are certainly a lot of things he can check the box for. Yeah, so then when you talk about the separation, especially when you talk about the first step, because I think that's your main issue is the first step, though. But the thing about it is, is he savvy enough to get to his spots? Because that's all basketball is about, is getting to the spots that you feel comfortable making shots. And I think that 
when you watch him yeah. play. I think he's more than capable of that. I mean, there are a lot of guys that are super athletic. And, I mean, Kai Jones, good Lord. I mean, who could be more athletic than him and, <laughs> and, and get by people with a crazy first step? But the rest of the game hasn't developed quite there yet. So I think with Brandon Miller, the key for him is, yeah, I mean, you may not be the most athletic guy out there, but can you get to your kill spots on the floor? Um, can you get there? And if you can do that, I think he could be very effective because, as I said, the jump shot, three ball is there. You talk about defensively and all of those things and those comparisons, man, that's got to get you salivating to hear those things, even though I know you feel like they're a bit strong. No, I, I do think they're strong. I think defensively, he's not going to be hunted. You know, like nobody's going to look at Brandon Miller and think, oh, okay, yeah, we can go right at that guy. Who's I don't, your comp of uh, Scoot? Um, just any NBA player? Yeah, like who would you who would you compare him to? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about like when we do the, the two-guard lineup stuff and – the type of foundation built from that. I was thinking maybe Bradley Beal, John wall type stuff when they were, you know, they had a fun playoff run. They needed to do a lot more with that roster and the, and Washington is extremely poorly run and have been forever. But like if John wall, you know, was shorter, a little stock here, I think maybe that could be some kind of scoot cop. And John wall was the best point guard in the league for at least a year before he started to suffer some of the injuries that would, you know, tear apart. I mean, he was out of the league for, what, two years? Awful injuries for John. Bradley Beal, not necessarily LaMelo, not, not all the skill sets, but, yeah, I don't, honestly, though, I don't know. Like, there's not anybody that comes to mind, mind immediately. Rose. I mean, he looks like Derrick Rose all day, every day. He plays like him, in my opinion. He looks like him body-wise. Like, I think it's, it's Derrick Rose, which, like you said, he was an MVP of this league. Like, Derrick mm-hmm. Rose in his prime, man, I mean, he was a terror. Last one. Let's go to one other pro Brandon Miller soundbite. Here's Paul Biancardi on the Kyle Bailey show yesterday discussing the fit between Charlotte and Brandon. I mean, you can't overthink this. He is what the NBA is looking for. Every NBA team wants the positional size, the shooting ability, the mid-range jump shot, a little bit of playmaking, ball handling. He has very good handle to his height ratio, and he is a good playmaker out of pick and rolls. He can find the open man. Now, he struggled down the stretch for Alabama. He last four games were rough for him. I, I did a dive into him. He was 7 for 33 from three, but he was 18 of 20 from the free throw line. So he's going to be the shooter the Hornets need with that size as a mismatch on the offensive end. He could take bigger guys off the bounce. He can take like-sized guys or smaller, Kyle, into that mid-post, pinch-post area and score over them. He's a late clock threat which I love, the ability to score with the last four seconds in the shot clock. And, and as I mentioned, he's a playmaker. So I think he's everything that the Hornets need. Here's the problem with Brandon Miller, just again with the the taking smaller guys off. If you look at his release, it is, it's really actually abnormally low for how tall he is. Yeah. And I do wonder, because clearly he's going to be able to take bigger guys off of the dribble. I think that's enough where, okay, the separation will be fine there. But if you've got somebody in your grill and you can't drive by him because you're talking about the best athletes in the world, look at where his release is. Like, I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be extremely noticeable even to somebody who's a casual basketball fan. Like, man, he's bringing this up from his hip and he doesn't, you know, in Ingram, I think he kind of brings that up more towards his shoulders a lot more. I think that matters. I think as far as, you know, and, and again, we've talked about that. What, what do you make of, of Paul being Cardi clearly saying, don't overthink it the other way. And I'm going, don't overthink it in the scoot way. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it just depends on, 
you talk about the release. I, I'm just ready to get to the uh, Scoot Henderson flaws because, I mean, I feel like, you know, we've gotten one, but we're not getting too many. We'll get to the Scoot. Because they don't exist. I agree. I think that's the best piece of analysis. All players shooting 26% from three, huh? You want to get to the flaws? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been killing Brandon Miller's flaws. We've been talking about all his flaws all day. We've gotten a one with Scoot. I mean, well, what, I mean, what else do you have? Well slanted. No, what else do you have, though? Like, Because I, I, do, I do think, because people are holding him in that high regard, I think the shooting is, is a big deal. I think he is shorter. Like, if he was 6'4", six, 6'5", six, that would certainly help. But I just am choosing to overlook that more so. Are there any flaws real quickly before we go to break that you wanted to point we'll out? We'll find them. We're going to talk okay. about them more as, as <laughs> okay. we get closer to the draft. Okay. All right. We got one more segment in the hour. It's Fire Fizzle coming up next. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. We're not giving you any time to rest. We're going straight into it. Everybody's favorite segment of the week, Fire of Fizzle. Wes Bryant tells you some of the topics that are indeed hot or indeed not today. We got fire or fizzle. Number two overall NBA draft picks in the association's history. The first one will be a familiar one for you Charlotte Hornets fans. Let's lead off with Alonzo Mourning, the second pick in the 1992 NBA draft behind one Shaquille O'Neal. No Shaq, but still a good career. You tell me, Wes, is Alonzo fire or fizzle? Yeah, back in 1992, I remember my mom went to the draft party when Zoe got picked. She oh, that's brought awesome. me home the hat. It was a kind of weird-looking hat, but it had like a sun, and they were kind of playing off the morning and <laughs> things of that nature. But the bottom line was we didn't get Shaquille O'Neal. But what did Alonzo Mourning do in the NBA? Three-time NBA champion as a player once but as a vice president of player programs, twice, seven-time NBA All-Star, All-NBA first team, All-NBA second team, two-time defensive player of the year, and a two-time NBA All-Defensive first team. And I think about driving by the mural with Zoe, LJ, and Muggsy, and just how dope that was on the first union building. Alonzo hitting the shot against the Boston Celtics to win it. And when I was a water boy, offering him my water, and he accepted. And for that alone, yeah, that's big time. Alonzo Morning is straight fire. Don't ever hate on Zoe, even though he left town. <laughs> it was so tough. Yeah, this is the one that people got angry for me, ranking Zoe second in front of Larry Johnson for best Hornet of all time. Um, people were mad at him for leaving, but still a crazy good three-year start to his career here in Charlotte. Second one, Wes, 07, drafted behind Greg Oden. <laughs> Bad decision, Portland. Good decision, then Seattle turned into OKC. Kevin Durant, Wes, fire or fizzle? 
Well, when you talk about that draft, I mean, Greg Oden coming out, he was the number one guy coming out of high school. So a lot of people did not fault the Blazers for taking him at the time. Who would have known that he would have ended up being one of the biggest busts of our lifetime? But KD, the man who could not bench 135 at the NBA draft combine. Many people said he was too weak, too skinny. But I remember living in Orlando, watching this man play on TV. And I said, I'm going to check out this Durant guy that everybody says is so good. And the first game I watched him play was against Kansas. And I said, oh my goodness, this guy right here is going to be an NBA stud. And so what did he come to the league and do? Two-time NBA champion, two-time finals MVP, NBA MVP in 2014, four-time scoring champion, rookie of the year, 10-time All-NBA scoring selection, 13-time NBA All-Star. We're talking about Kevin Durant, KD, some of the most comfortable shoes you ever put your feet in. But KD, in this rendition of Straight Fire, is straight fizzle because he wouldn't have got those titles without my man Steph Curry, and he just gets a little bit too sensitive for my take. You just said fizzle for a top 15 player of all time. I did. That's ridiculous. He's a fantastic player. That's not saying he's trash, but some of the intangibles with KD, man. Fizzle synonymous with trash. All right, next one. (laughs) John Morant, the second overall pick behind Zion Williamson. I have a feeling I know where this one's going, but you tell me, West Fire Fizzle. John Morant coming out of that draft. I was a Zion guy the whole way once I saw him play at Duke and knew that he was more than just a guy that was dunking on white kids that were going to end up going to college and being regular students. (laughs) (laughs) So John Morant, though, when I got a chance to watch him play, I was enamored with him, and I was like, man, this guy's going to be a player. Number two pick of the 2019 NBA draft. So far in his career, he's averaged 22 points, 7.4 assists, and 4.8 rebounds. He was selected to play in the All-Star game. He won the Rookie of the Year award and won Most Improved Player award. And, oh, yeah, add to his superlatives two NBA gun violations, one of which we don't know what the punishment is going to be just yet. So when we talk about John Morant, gun toter, listener of NBA Young Boy, while he is riding in the car with friends who obviously don't care much about his career and their well-being, John Morant is straight. Fizzle, which other way did you think this one was going to go? Come on, man, stop it. I expected that one. Um, (laughs) I also have a fantastic feeling that there's only, this is the most fire entry in the history of fire fizzle. Has to be. Bill Russell. Number two overall pick. Bill Just go ahead and tell the people what they need to hear. Yeah, a lot of people kind of, when they talk about the greatest players ever, most people do not bring up Bill Russell because he wasn't a prolific scorer. He didn't put up the crazy numbers that Wilt Chamberlain did when you talk about monstrous double-doubles, but that was his contemporary, and they had some epic battles. But what did Bill Russell do? The winningest NBA player, one of the winningest athletes of all time, 11-time NBA champion. Five-time NBA MVP, 12-time All-Star, NBA All-Star Game MVP, three-time All-NBA First Team. I could be sitting here all damn day listing all the superlatives for this man. Eight-time All-NBA Second Team and an NBA All-Defensive First Team member in 1969. It's crazy that he only made one All-Defensive First Team. But when you talk about Bill Russell, the man was straight fire, and I'm going to excuse the popcorn beard when he got old. I like the beard. All right, last one. (laughs) It's not even a player. It's going to be the guy drafted after Victor Wembanyama. 
Wes, are you going to fizzle somebody before they even <laughs> step foot in the Spectrum Center? Or are you going to dub them fire before they do the same? Listen, you guys saw the video. I was sitting there eating my dinner, and I was expecting greatness to come to Charlotte when you talk about Victor Wimbenyama. I felt it in my heart and my soul walking. I tried to be the shamans of the city. <laughs> we tried to give you all of the good energy try to bring this man, Victor Wimbenyama, the greatest NBA draft prospect, in my opinion, ever. And what happened? My man opened up that envelope at two and we saw that Charlotte Hornets logo and it was disappointment. Who could it be? Will it be Scoot Henderson? Will it be Brandon Miller? Whomever it is, it isn't Victor Wimbenyama. And for that reason, it is straight Fizzle, you just got to give me a little bit of time to get over this, you man. This I'm, I'm still not overnight getting Wimby. Yet. Yeah, that's fine. Look, I get it, right? We missed out on Wimby, and that one's tough. Uh, you wouldn't even hear a peep out of me about Scoot Henderson if we got Victor Wimby. <laughs> We'd be talking a lot about Wimby. That'll do it for Fire or Fizzle. A staple here on mm, West Cut Walker. that music off. One more hour. Oh, always have to end with the demand. The mandate from Wes towards Josh Fitty Marlowe. One more hour to go. The Campus Corner coming up next. How about Caleb Love decommitting from Michigan? Could he potentially return to UNC? That's coming up next. Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.